We all have big dreams, but far too often, we never give them a chance to come true. Well, that all changes today. Welcome to Just Keep Learning, where we'll help you develop the right mindset, be more productive, and learn more effectively so you can accomplish anything. Here's your host, Justin at Just Tries. All right, let's go. This episode is brought to you by our newsletter, actually. Now, I know that this is a way we are having huge impact in helping people with creator business and mindset, whether it's for you or a loved one, maybe somebody that you're teaching or coaching. We're all about helping people succeed in this area. It's really becoming our life's work because I just want to see more and more creatives figure out how to pursue their passions and be able to make a living from it. So be sure to check it out. And it's most beneficial if you reply and ask questions to the actual emails. You'll get an issue every week. And we're also going to be doing more and more giveaways there. So if you haven't joined the letter yet, be sure to sign up at newsletter.justkeeplearning.ca. Our guest today has an incredible story of learning to manage ADHD, switching careers after facing really difficult burnout, and how people can take both of those challenges and turn them into a positive for themselves. She pivoted from a corporate career at Google to become a coach, consultant, and incredible content creator. She shares amazing tips on how to manage your own mind, not just for productivity, but also to make sure that you are living in alignment with your best self. These abilities came from a lot of hardships and struggles, but those hardships and struggles are really relatable. She definitely takes an, if I can do it, you can do it too, approach to success, which is really refreshing. Please welcome to interview 53, Steph Pinsley. All right, I'm super excited to do this episode. Uh, I've been watching your content for a while, especially like the quicker video clips and the TikTok kind of stuff. And I know that you bring a ton of value in so many different areas. But one of the first things that I like to let people do is introduce themselves because other people so often tell us who we are online and in the world of business. So instead of just pulling a bio or doing research that way, if I were to have you come into, let's say, a high school entrepreneurship class, because I know that's a big interest of yours and an expertise of yours, and I just turned over the mic and allowed you to introduce yourself, who are you and kind of what do you do? Well, my name is Stephanie Pinsley. I'm a coach and speaker, and I help people get unstuck in their careers through a combination of personal branding, mindset, subconscious reprogramming, and really just success principles. And I was a product marketing manager at Google for a little over three years, but I ended up quitting my job in February of 2021 because I was basically feeling trapped in this one dream job of mine. I, you know, I got this job straight out of college and it seemed like the ultimate, the ultimate career. I was a marketer. It was an entry-level marketing program. And while it was great at the beginning, towards the end, I started getting very burnt out because the role just wasn't aligned with me and I was not interested in it. And as someone with ADHD, if I'm not interested in the work I'm doing, it wears on me. It really created a deep sense of burnout. And so I had to take a leave of absence in August of 2020. During that time, I just started posting content about marketing, branding, mindset on TikTok. This was like the golden age of TikTok. I grew an audience and then I ended up using that audience to launch my first marketing coaching company, which allowed me to quit Google in February of 2021. And now because I'm so passionate about 
how I was able to get unstuck in my career, I am now helping others do the same. So while I used to do marketing coaching, I'm now pivoting, or I have pivoted into this sort of unstuck territory, which you could even call it life coaching. But again, this is like a combination of mark or personal branding, mindset, and subconscious reprogramming. Beautiful. The idea of being unstuck, or I know there's like a book called, I think it's like uses the F word though, but it's like unF yourself and like things like that is obviously a big part of kind of the culture right now and conversations, side hustles, maybe to like all those kinds of topics. Uh, I'd love to kind of go back to actually kind of the middle of what you were saying in terms of your intro about having ADHD. One thing that I notice right now on a lot of content, and maybe it's the way my brain works too, because of algorithms, but it seems like there's a thousand TikTok and IG Reels creators in the world of ADHD. And I suppose a really confusing definition of what it is. So if we could stick on that topic for a little bit, I feel like many people in the audience have both diagnosed and undiagnosed ADHD, or let's just say struggles with attention and things like that, that they watch that content and wonder, oh, wait, is that me? You know, and it's done in an entertaining way, but I think there's a lot of confusion. So maybe in terms of your own story, because that's what you know, what is ADHD? It's a great question. And I think it is sort of a buzzword right now. A lot of people, like you said, are seeing these videos and self-diagnosing, but there is also a lot of people who were not diagnosed who should have been. So myself, as an example, I did not get diagnosed with ADHD until I was a freshman, like freshman or sophomore in college. And I did that for myself because my whole life, I was an ultimate procrastinator. I worked up until the very like bitter end because I could not get myself to focus until there was a deadline right in front of my face. And so my whole life, I thought I was a procrastinator. I thought I couldn't manage time well, which can be symptoms of ADHD. Time blindness is one where you just aren't able to keep track of time. But I ended up realizing, oh, wow, no, I actually have ADHD. And I would say ADHD, I mean, it stands for Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. And it used to be divided into ADD and ADHD, but they've kind of grouped it all into one thing now. And the hyperactivity, while I didn't have that in the sense of the traditional way that you would think of like that kid in class who can't stop fidgeting, my hyperactivity and a lot of people's hyperactivity, that can be one way it shows up. But another way and a more sort of like insidious way is hyperactive brain. So we're focusing on too many things at once. And that's actually a bit of a misnomer. People think that you don't have attention, but it's actually too much attention. So you might be focusing on all these details. Your brain is hyperactive. You can't really slow it down. You can't get it to focus on what you really need to do. And the biggest sort of symptom of ADHD is executive function or a lack of executive function. And that's basically the ability to just get something done, execute a task. And so a lot of people will be in this ADHD paralysis state where they want to do something so badly. They know they have to do it and they feel terrible about themselves because it's like they know they have to do it, but they cannot do it. And everyone around them may be saying, oh, you're just lazy or a procrastinator. Just do it. 
But when you have ADHD, it's not that simple. You can't just do it because of that um, executive, I guess you can call it dysfunction. I don't know if that's the right term. And so that's really one of the biggest ways ADHD shows up. But there are so many symptoms. I'm happy to talk about more. This is something I'm very passionate about because especially as I've become an entrepreneur, it's been a challenge navigating because when I was in the corporate world and in college, I always had someone above me telling me what to do. I had deadlines. I had you know someone to hold me accountable. When you're an entrepreneur, that doesn't exist. Your deadlines feel very manufactured unless there is like a legitimate deadline. And so getting yourself to execute on time and meet deadlines, that's been a struggle for me is trying to kind of keep the pace that I imagined. But as I've sort of gone deeper into my entrepreneurial journey, I've sort of accepted the fact that my progress is going to be slower than a neurotypical person's progress. And I'm okay with that because I do not want to reach a state of burnout again that I was at when I worked at Google. That destroyed my mental health, my physical health, my relationships. And so it's an ongoing battle. It's something I'm still working on. But yeah, I'm happy to talk about more symptoms if you're interested. Yeah. And I I look forward to as tough as it may be for you to talk about going back to touch on that burnout thing, because I think we can be proactive and hopefully ideally help some people a little bit. And this is a fascinating moment, like in this very, very uh, (laughs) micro like meta moment, because for me, when you answer a question like that, it gives me like six different things that I think about. And uh, I have a colleague, she would laugh if she was listening to this episode, who says, your brain always makes my brain hurt. And one of the things for me, and this is kind of sad, and I'd be interested if, if you've ever felt like this, because my brain like goes kind of all over the place so many times, I used to speak those things out loud. And then I realized that it was like confusing people. So now I just don't talk a lot, <laughs> like I keep it in, right? And so a really crazy example right in this moment is I'm like, realizing that one of my weaknesses maybe or areas to improve on is being able to ask questions in a clearer way because I have like 16 thoughts right now that I feel like I could ask you and without being confusing as a podcast host, it's something that I've really had to grow and learn how to be better at. That's like a small example of I don't have ADHD diagnosis, but in terms of the million thoughts going through my head in a moment that I can certainly relate to and it's a struggle. You can certainly share some other symptoms if you want to. I know that you said it's something that you're really passionate about. The idea that I was going to ask about as well, and these go hand in hand, I'm sure, is um, ways that you've learned to cope or strategies to help mitigate some of the downsides of having ADHD. Yeah, and I completely relate to your point about the question asking because I have my own video series, which I've put on the back burner for a little while. But that was something I struggled with because as you listen to the person that you're interviewing talk, you think of this response and that response and you have so many different things, but of course you can't say them all. And so sometimes I would get to this point where the person would stop talking and my brain would go blank and I would forget everything that I was you know, planning on saying. And so I totally relate to that. It's hard. And I guess my brain is very haphazard. A lot of people's, as you can tell with how I answer questions, a lot of people are much more linear. And I'm like, let me touch on all these different things. So my answers could be a little, um, could hurt your brain for some neurotypical people. But for people that have ADHD, they're like, I love it. I love how fast you talk because it's like how their brain works. Um, that being said, 
other symptoms of ADHD, I mean, ADHD can show up in a lot of different ways. It really is very unique to you, but anxiety and depression can also be big symptoms of ADHD, especially when it's not treated. ADHD can also look like issues forming and maintaining relationships because we have something called object permanence where basically if something is not immediately in front of us, we sort of almost forget it exists. And this can happen with people. So you might have a friend that is so dear to you, but if they're not, if you're not seeing them often, like whether it's on social media, in person, uh, like through text, you may forget about them and not a sense of like, oh, I forget you exist, but you might forget to reach out. And so that can be a, an issue. You also may find yourself wanting to or needing to interrupt someone when they're talking because like we were saying earlier you have all these thoughts and you know that if you don't say them you will forget them that's a symptom another symptom is when you are having a conversation with someone you tend to relate what as you're sort of empathizing with them you do that in a way which is usually sharing your own experience and so people with ADHD will, will hear, let's say you're coming to me with an issue and you're telling me about how, I don't know, like your girlfriend cheated on you and you felt terrible. And rather than me staying on the topic of you and your girlfriend, I might say, I completely understand. I had my boyfriend cheat on me and like whatever it is. So you bring the topic back to yourself. And some people might think of that as like self-focused, but it's really just how people with ADHD tend to um, relate to others. Procrastination, like I mentioned, there are others I can't think of, but in ways of managing it, like I said, it's still a journey. A few things that have helped me are number one, time blocking. So creating events in my calendar where I am specifically working on one task and that's the only task I'm working on. And so while I'm the night before, I'll write down, brain dump everything and anything I think I need to do for the next day. Prioritize that list. Identify your most important task, the one thing that's going to move the needle forward the most. You want to usually do that thing first, but sometimes people with ADHD find that it's easier for them to sort of like warm up and like do an easier task and then work into the most important task. But regardless, you kind of get a sense of your most important task and then maybe one or two other things. The night before, Put it in your calendar, make time blocks, say, okay, for these two hours, I'm going to be doing, you know, my social posts, etc. So you have these very specific blocks that really can help. And also setting, uh, setting timers and alarms, because one of the symptoms I mentioned earlier is time blindness. We lose track of time and often we are late, another symptom, um, because we just can't keep track of time. And so when you have timers, not only does this kind of gamify it for you where you're like, okay, I only have five minutes left. Like I have to get it before this, this timer is up. It also helps you kind of stay on, on track. Another thing that's helped me because again, procrastination is a big sort of symptom of ADHD is taking the tasks that I need to do and breaking them down into the smallest, smallest micro tasks. And this could look like, for example, if I'm trying to create a social post, it could be like, Step one, identify the topic. Step two, create an outline. Step three, write the CTAs in the hook. So very, very specific. And the reason this helps is because there's no ambiguity or confusion about what you're supposed to do. And often we will procrastinate or, 
resist starting a task because we're just not sure exactly how to start. So when you break your tasks down into super micro micro tasks, that helps. Another thing that's helped me is body doubling. Body doubling is when you just are working alongside someone else. This creates a sense of it almost like reduces your anxiety. I know as someone with ADHD, I get anxiety when I have to like get my work done. But when I put myself, let's say I go to like my sister's apartment and I work with her, or I go to a coffee shop that reduces the anxiety because you almost feel, um, you just feel like a sense of accountability in a way. And so that can really help finding someone to work with. I think that's all I can think of at the moment. But again, I'll, I'll share some if they come to the top of my mind, because there's definitely more. I, I may be helpful. I may not be helpful. But I had one other thing that like my brain was starting to try and predict, which is not a good listening skill. But I was about like I was thinking you were maybe going to add anything around like kind of like personal uh, I don't food or nutrition or sleep or like kind of the hygiene, personal, you know, taking care of yourself kind of thing. Yes. And also that's a symptom. It's hard for you to listen. And I this is something I struggle with is you want to actively listen, but your brain will fade in and out of, of being able to listen to the person. Nutrition is actually that's a great point. So eating a lot of protein, I think, has been proven to help with ADHD, especially in the morning. I've also been relying on natural supplements because while I do take Adderall, um, I'm trying to sort of move more towards a natural realm. So I've been using a combination of lion's mane, which is a mushroom that's great for your brain health and memory anyways, saffron, um, omega-3 fish oils, L-theanine, I think magnesium is one, although I don't necessarily use it for ADHD. I use that for sleep, magnesium citrate, and was the, is there another one? I think those are all of them for now. So those are some supplements that can help as well as you may cut this out if you want. Microdosing uh, has potentially um, benefits for helping treat ADHD. However, I'm not really, I've only like just begun to dabble in that. Again, you can cut that out if you want. <laughs> I won't, I won't cut it out, but I think it's interesting. And like with any of those things, I mean, let's be honest, Adderall is a perfect example. It's always like people should go to their local expert and you know, this is not yes. <laughs> financial and or medical advice on this episode when it comes to those topics. And so do your own research and make sure you're taking care of yourself. But when it comes to the micro dosing piece, like, are we talking mushrooms, marijuana? Are we talking uh, MDMA? Like, or is it just like a whole bunch of things? Mushroom, so psilocybin. Again, I, I've only dabbled. And yes, please speak to a doctor before you take any of these supplements. Um, make sure that they don't interact with any medications and don't assume that because it works for me, it'll work for you. I'm glad you made that um, remark because it is important. And especially with something like mushrooms, it is number one, it's not federally legal. <laughs> number two, you have to be careful how you acquire it. So maybe forget that. Forget that step. That could be a more advanced step. <laughs> Well, with a, I think I'll add to that is that there's so many countries listening around the world and oh, true. who knows where the world will head. But yeah, that's awesome. I mean, I think it's good to just obviously be honest, but transparent. Yeah. Not be like a, a pill or a shroom pusher. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. And you have to be very careful with those things. So yeah, supplements, food, sleep. For me personally, something that's helped with me is not setting alarms and letting my body get as much sleep as it needs. Um, when you're sleep deprived, your ADHD will get a lot worse. And so I've also been working on healing my nervous system because a lot of people with ADHD might have issues where they're always in fight or flight mode. And that has a really big impact on your nervous system, your immune system. 
and it can really exacerbate your ADHD. And one way of sort of working to heal your nervous system is not setting alarms because waking up to that like that gets you immediately in that fight or flight response and it gets your cortisol spiking. And so allowing myself to have a slow morning routine is very important. I will wake up earlier than I want to start working and just allow that time to be like my warm up. And as women, women and men are the way that we our energy works differently. Like men wake up with like a spike in cortisol, I believe, and they can like go straight to it. Women, their bodies don't work like that. They need more time to like build up that energy. And so I let myself have a slow morning routine where I like clean my kitchen. The moment I wake up, I do like a meditation visualization of my dream life. So I really take time to, you know, like work out, journal, practice gratitude before I get into my day so I can kind of warm up. So yeah, I think those are some other things that might be helpful. But again, it's very individualized. So, you know, see what works for you and always ask your doctor before you try any of the supplements or, you know, plant medicine that I mentioned earlier. Yeah, that's huge. What I was, you mentioned, it's especially difficult if it goes untreated. And so naturally I was going to ask, because again, I've seen a ton of youth go through this journey of medication, supplements, nutrition, all these kinds of advices, and some of them really figure it out and some of them struggle. So you shared that you were on Adderall. That was a question I was going to ask was, is this, you know, Western medicine or is this natural? You kind of answered all that. But in terms of that journey, though, to get to this point, you mentioned that it was in college, I think, that you first were diagnosed. So is that when you started medicating? And I'll ask a second question at the risk of being too many ideas at once. But did you recognize a lot of this stuff prior to college and like as a child looking back in school and stuff like that, too? I didn't consciously recognize it as ADHD. I just thought, and this is the big, this is a really big issue with people who are not diagnosed. You start to attach these issues with procrastination and time management and ambition with your self-worth and think something is wrong with you. When it's not that something's wrong with you, it's that you have a medical issue that is not treated. And so number one, I had to rewire a lot of those limiting beliefs, especially before I began my entrepreneurship journey, because you can't, I couldn't go into it thinking I'm a procrastinator. I'm not ambitious. I can't motivate myself. I can't manage my time. So that was one, you know, sort of journey. I didn't realize that I was, um, that I had ADHD because I was able to kind of just get good grades and work under the radar. Because when you have ADHD, you can work a lot faster than a neurotypical person in a shorter period of time. But those hyper-focused moments are few and far between. And they really are dependent on like a deadline fast approaching. And so I was able to get away in high school with that sort of like last minute approach. And I did well. But then when I got to Cornell, I ended up getting really anxious and depressed because I could not keep up with my work. That that approach didn't work anymore. And I got really overwhelmed. And so I eventually saw a psychiatrist. And it's like so many things started making sense. Also, this is so random, but misophonia is another symptom of ADHD. I don't know why that popped in my brain, but that's when like small sounds irritate you. So like the sound of someone breathing or chewing, that's a big issue for me. Um, and so that's, that's another symptom, but totally left field. Back to what we were saying, I didn't know until I started seeing a psychiatrist, I started getting diagnosed and I got on Adderall and it really, really helped. But recently, and I've been on Adderall for 
almost like 10 years now. I never took it like seven days a week. And that's what I would recommend. If you can take it as infrequently as possible, because that will help you not build a tolerance to it. But again, I'm not a medical professional. And I don't don't take this as like solid advice. This is just my lived experience. Um, But recently, I experienced this phenomenon where my ADHD medication was not working. And there's a lot of people on TikTok that are having the exact same experience. There's actually an investigation into it right now because people think that they're not putting amphetamines in the the drugs, which is like the mo- like the active ingredient in most of them that actually gets you to focus. And I was experiencing that with my medication. I was getting like exhausted and crashing, which never would happen to me. It was making my anxiety and depression really bad. And so I had to work with my provider to change not not the prescription, but the manufacturer. When I changed the manufacturer, it ended up being a lot better. So my medication journey has been up and down. And yeah, I, was that did I answer everything? I think there was another part to that question. No, that that was really it. I feel like a lot of people get diagnosed, but then they have fears of going on medication or they've heard certain things, so they avoid it or they don't, like you said, want to become too high of a tolerance or they think there's side effects that are bad. I can actually reference my brother when it comes to that. And I had asked if these symptoms and struggles with ADHD were existent before college and stuff like that. So I think you answered it beautifully. Okay, good. And I'm glad you mentioned um, the point about the side effects. ADHD medication has a lot of side effects. It can mess with your heart. It can create heart palpitations. It can increase anxiety. It really can lower your appetite, lead to weight loss, which is not a good reason to get on it. So if anyone hears that and it's like, oh, great, let me get on ADHD medication to lose weight. Do not do that. There's a lot of negative side effects to medications like Adderall. And insomnia is one of the biggest ones I've struggled with. And that's been a huge journey that I'm still working on. But if you can't, if you don't need to get on Adderall, please don't. It's, it's sometimes it can do more harm than good. But if you do have ADHD and it's, it can help you, then the, the benefits um, can outweigh the cost. But it's, again, it's very individualized. Yeah, I'm not an anti-vaxxer, but somewhat organically, I am like a, a person that's more interested in like natural remedies or doing different things. And that just is like, I don't know, as long as I can remember being like that. And so for me, it's really interesting. I have a friend who's kind of the face of one of the biggest uh, mental health campaigns here in Canada. And he does a lot of public speaking. He's an author. He had to quit his full-time job because of burnout, but primarily around OCD and um, struggling with mental illness. And so that's like become his life's work. And we'll get together oftentimes. And he knows that I've been prescribed drugs on a few occasions with respect to depression and anxiety, and then I've just crumple up the prescription and throw it in the garbage. And he actually has a, an amazing photo in his book. He's kept every pill bottle from the first time he started going to psychiatry and he has them all. And he built like a pyramid of them and he put them in his autobiography. This is crazy. It takes up an entire kitchen table. And both of those solutions and anywhere in between in any combination of them, I think is very reasonable. You know, like I went to a ton of therapy and yet I still work in mental health hospitals and I would never say to anyone, you shouldn't take pills, right? Like I think a lot of people are like an either or type attitude where it's like you should or you shouldn't. And I would never say that. 
But to this day, I've never filled a prescription because I was so scared of things that I'd seen about side effects or then like people who just are like, okay, you know, my ADHD meds aren't working well enough. So then they start dipping their toes into more illegal stuff. And then like that works for a little bit, but then it all just kind of spirals out of control and ends up not in a good place. So like, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a really huge topic. And I'm glad that if anything, we just kind of shine a little bit of a light on it, which is cool. You mentioned in there the idea of the next day having the one thing. So was that an, an actual book that you read? Because there's a book called The One Thing, or was that just your own uh, word? No, I, I. it's funny. I, I didn't read that book. I, that, I think I've heard of that book before, but I learned about this when I was creating content for TikTok back in 2020 and I was making videos about like success principles and I looked up, you know, what are, you know, the habits that some of the most successful people use and I had a whole series on it and that was one of the the tips, the most important task. Yeah, that's interesting. So that makes me think of other resources or things like, are you someone that likes to read books, check out blogs, listen to podcasts, other people's YouTube channels? Like where do you like to learn? Yeah, I love audiobooks, although I'm I haven't been reading as much as I would like to. My current my favorite book right now, if I had to just drop some book suggestions that I always like to plug, number 1 is The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. That's really helped with my anxiety and just helping me stay in the present moment and unlock all the benefits of being in the present moment. Um, which can help with ADHD. The other is Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself by Joe Dispenza. The reason I'm using that book is because I'm trying to reprogram my subconscious beliefs around money and my lack mindset, which has been a really big block for me in my entrepreneurial journey. I love that book. It's very practical. It has this alongside the explanation of why it all works. It also has very practical sort of like a four week meditation um, practice that you can use. So audiobooks are great, but I also like to like read, read books. To be honest, I've been using ChatGPT more than any other resource right now, because I am so obsessed with it. And I'm just continuously mind blown by what it can do. And so I, de- I definitely have been turning to ChatGPT more than anything else right now. I try not to consume other people's content too much. I do sometimes, but when I consume other people's content too much, it kind of messes with my head and makes me compare myself or think I'm not doing enough. And so I like to limit that. But yeah, ChatGPT is, for me, the absolute best resource I've found so far to sort of acquire knowledge and just get help with anything and everything. I have used it as a productivity coach as like, I mean, I could, I'm not even going to get into it all, but yeah, I'm obsessed. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's, I think that's come up in maybe three, four episodes in a row. And sometimes we've gone a little more specifically into talking about it, but I think those examples of how you use it are already helpful because people might be like, Oh, I didn't think about that. There's two things for me. When Terrence McMahon came on the show, I told him that I would write a book using it because he was like, you can write a book so quickly using it. And then what was the, oh, just like trying to uh, use it as a personal assistant, not for marketing the podcast, but just having a conversation back and forth, you know, each day about like how I could market it. And okay, I did this now, what do you think we should do? And just kind of like seeing what will happen if I continue to treat it as like a, as if there were two of us running this business for the podcast. So it's definitely super fun. Yeah, it's like, I think it'll be really interesting to see where it continues to go as it gets more and more. I don't know if advanced is the right word. It's pretty damn advanced, but, you know, more integrated into the things we do as opposed to just being like a secondary thing. Yeah, with plugins, which 
dropped for some people with ChatGPT4, which I have, that's going to expand its capabilities even more because it's going to be able to integrate with other apps. Because one thing that I've struggled with, like as an example, with the productivity coach, I've asked it to help me sort of increase my productivity. And one prompt that works really well for it is what information do you need from me to do X? So I would say, what information do you need for me to become my personal productivity coach? And it will send you a list of questions. You answer the questions, send it back to it, and then treat it as a conversation. And it's been really helpful in that way. It can help you prioritize, brainstorm. I mean, it's the, the list is endless. I continue to discover new things that it can do. Um, but one thing that I didn't love is that it, I wanted it to be able to remind me like, hey, let's have a check in about, you know, where you're at in your productivity or, you know, what progress you've made. And it couldn't do that because it couldn't integrate with other apps like Gmail. But with plugins, I believe that will certainly be possible. So I'm just like foaming at the mouth waiting for <laughs> waiting for plugins, which I know sounds crazy. But I'm just going to be I'm going to be so amazed. I know by what it can do. But honestly, ChatGPT, you can use it as a friend, a mentor, a business partner, an assistant, a marketer. I mean, the list is endless. I would say experiment with it as much as possible. Get to know it because honestly, ChatGPT and similar AI products are going to take a lot of our jobs within the next five years. It's just inevitable. The nature of work is going to change drastically. And I don't say that to scare people. It's just, it's just the reality of it, especially when you begin to become aware of how powerful it is. And so my thinking with it is, if you can't beat them, join them. Become, become so adept at using ChatGPT so that you can at least be on the train of people that are helping other people understand it. As an example, like I'm giving a speech to a PR company in a couple of weeks about how they can use ChatGPT in their own business and how they can use it for content marketing and pitch writing. And so I would say, don't be afraid of just experimenting with it. Yeah, just be ready for drastic changes in the workforce beyond what we've already seen, because AI is inevitably going to change things and it's better to become more familiar with it than to be sort of blind to what it can do. Yeah, AI Drake just dropped a new record from what I saw before it came on here. It's like, and I think naturally that it's, it's so fascinating. That's what's happening in schools right now too, right? People go down the catastrophic route of like, oh my God, this is so bad. If you can just copy Drake's voice, look at all the nefarious things that can happen. Oh my God, this is so bad. If you can just ask this thing to write an essay or in your case, your case, it'll be pretty meta. If you ask chat GPT to write the speech that you're about to give to the PR company about writing a speech, that'd be pretty cool. But you know what I'm saying? Like the, and then there's also same with social media when Facebook first started to really be the first huge success was like the negative sides, but there's also so many positives. And you mentioned the idea of people take having losing their jobs and that AI will take some of our jobs. So that leads me back to this idea of you facing burnout, having been in a corporate world and then pivoting to entrepreneurship. Last Friday, I went to speak to a group of high school students about getting into entrepreneurship. And this episode's not about me. So and that talk was like an hour. But in your case, what was that journey like to go from corporate to entrepreneurship? And it would be way too much for me to ask anything else, I think, right now. <laughs> yeah, that, that's that, that's definitely a big answer. It's Let me start with, I guess, when the burnout began, because I think it will help people maybe see this in themselves that may not have seen it. Because a lot of people are experiencing burnout, but they don't realize it. And one very random symptom that I learned on an episode of my video series, Project Unstuck, I interviewed a, a, a psychiatrist, 
psychologist, I believe. And she, one of the things she specializes in uh, is burnout. So we talked a lot about burnout. And one of the symptoms that she said that people don't normally think of, of burnout, an early warning sign is this feeling like you need to prove yourself. And so you constantly are trying to achieve one thing and then you move on to the next thing without sort of recognizing and celebrating it. And you're just constantly trying to achieve, achieve, and you're just not really satisfied. And so that can be an early symptom. But for me, what happened was I was on the digital well-being team at Google, which I really enjoyed. I did a lot of brand marketing work, but that team was deprioritized and I was moved to this kids and families team. And I had a great, it, it was not the people. I had a great boss, a great team, but it was the nature of the work. I really didn't enjoy it. And again, if you have ADHD and you're doing work that is not exciting to you, this can really exacerbate burnout. And so early warning signs for me were mood swings, irritability, issues with my relationships where I would snap. At this point, I'm living back at home in my childhood bedroom because this is 2020. I moved from San Francisco back home with my family, which in one way was amazing. But in another way, it was sort of showing me issues that my burnout was causing, which I didn't realize at the time. Um, But I was having a very hard time executing my tasks. I was incredibly drained. I would wake up before my alarm with this anxious feeling in my stomach. And this would even manifest as like stomach pain, headache, insomnia. So all of these things were sort of bubbling up. And the tipping point for me was I realized that I had no tolerance, any adversity. And that's another big symptom that can happen right before the tipping point, at least it was for me, where I got an an email from someone on my team that was slightly inconvenient and I couldn't deal with it. I just like broke down. I just gave up. And so at that point, no amount of mental health days were enough because before that I was trying, I was like, okay, maybe I just need to like relax, take a mental health day, come back. But that wasn't it. And another thing I was doing, which you may do as well, if you're experiencing burnout is I was looking for any reason to be grateful for my job. I was really trying to lean into the silver lining or find anything and convince myself that what I was doing was was, you know, right for me and be grateful. You know, I have this job at Google. People would kill for it. Like, why am I not grateful? Something must be wrong with me. That's the story I was telling myself. And I still have journals that I look back on frequently from this time. And it's honestly like it was heartbreaking to see the the struggles I'd gone through. But again, that point of that tipping point for me was I had no adversity. I could not tolerate any adversity, any challenge. I broke down. I had no will, no motivation. And then I had to take my leave of absence. And I felt like such a failure. I felt like something was wrong with me. You know, why couldn't I be like the other people on my team? Like, what was what was it? And there was a lot of blaming and self-judgment and criticism that was so unnecessary. Um, but it was something that was really difficult. And over time, during that leave of absence, it was the biggest blessing in disguise. While at the time I thought I was the biggest failure, it gave me a moment to pause and really reflect and figure out why am I so burnt out? Why am I so unhappy? And I realized that number one, I had certain needs and values and work styles that I had to follow in a career to be happy and fulfilled that was not aligned at my job at Google. For example, I could not be the person that sat at a desk with my team in this one space for hours at a time because I couldn't deal with other people's noise because, again, that attention to all of these different things being an issue with the hyperactivity 
that was one thing. The work style was not aligned with the kind of work style I was desiring and needed. And also I realized I went through this values exercise and I discovered that my core values were freedom, autonomy, independence, you know, creative freedom, impact, influence. And I was not getting that at my job, at my corporate job. And so reflecting and seeing like, okay, here's where things are misaligned. Here are my strengths. Here are my weaknesses. This job is not playing to my strengths. It's actually playing to my weaknesses. So gaining that personal clarity and self-awareness, which is the first thing I teach now in my program to help people get unstuck is that personal clarity, figuring out who you are, what you need, what your strengths and weaknesses are um, so that you can understand why it's not working. Because the problem is we will often fall into a role because it's what we thought we were supposed to do. Whether that's because our family and friends pushed us into something, whether that's because you chose a major before your brain had even finished developing and you had already invested so much time, money or energy into that path. So you had to keep going. You know, there's a lot of different external factors that influence how we choose careers, but they're very rarely chosen by our internal compass because we're so used to looking outside of ourselves. And that results in a lack of self-awareness. And I think that's why a lot of people hit this point of stuckness and burnout because we end up getting into roles that are so misaligned with who we are and what we need. And so getting that clarity was absolutely critical for me so that I could figure out what was wrong. And then once I took the time to get that clarity and then heal, you know, rest, play, invest in self-care, I started posting on TikTok as that creative outlet. But I also saw it as an opportunity to grow an audience, which I didn't know what I would use at the time, but it ended up becoming, you know, the platform I used to launch my first coaching company and pivot into entrepreneurship. But that also helped me with my burnout. But healing from burnout is it can take years. It can take, I think I've heard something about it can take up to five years to really fully heal from burnout. And so I don't even know that I'm fully done with this journey, but ways of managing burnout that helped me were again, really investing in self-care, sleep, but also finding meaning outside of what I was doing. So for me, that looked like creating content on TikTok because that gave me a sense of impact and meaning because I saw the messages and the DMs that I received from small business owners thanking me and expressing the impact that I had had simply by sharing my knowledge and stories through content. And that really helped me manage um, my burnout. And the other thing that is another way of managing burnout is just really trying to tap more into your relationships and trying to build meaningful relationships with people, um, whether that be family, friends, et cetera. So yeah, like I said, I'm not done with this journey, but I definitely have come a long way and I'm nowhere near the pits of hell that I used to be in. <laughs> Which makes me very happy to hear. And as I hear you answering this, it's, it's amazing because you're like reading my mind a lot. And then it's kind of like I said, you know, as a host that I know, you know what this feels like. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. That'd be good to make sure I know that because I'm sure a lot of people would be interested in it too. And then like, boom, you answer that. So it's like that happened a couple of times there, uh, especially around like I was going to ask if you found yourself because I know it's common with that idea of needing to take a leave of absence to compare ourselves to others. Right. And so it sounds like that's definitely something that you were doing and thinking that you weren't kind of quote unquote normal or there was something wrong with you. Why could other people do it, etc. But you really brought full circle by like saying that there's sort of this icky guy type values driven thing that you used to figure out what you should be doing and reevaluating and 
I guess, getting your own clarity. For me, it's you know amazing. I know we're like three quarters of the way through this episode, but it's already brought a ton of value to other people, no doubt. And it will for me too. I'll listen back to it in the future because one of my biggest fears of success is that my own personal goals revolve around the idea of being an artist. I love to paint. I love poetry. I would love to be in a studio making hip hop music. And ultimately, I want this podcast and YouTube channel to be the most structured thing I do, <laughs> which means that we're getting pretty far down the line of not being in a cubicle, entering data reports or doing long team meetings. Like I want to be on that kind of like hella creative side of my life. But one of the things that I know I don't know if I noticed it as much as until you brought it up like half an hour ago that I'm scared of is the idea of being able to structure my own time and not just fall back into like a depression, anxiety kind of state because that when I have like a week off or anything like that, that's what ends up happening. And then so to be fully in charge of it, I guess a silver lining of not being fully in charge of it until you're successful is that at least you know what you have to do at a certain time. Anyways, that's kind of me just reflecting on this episode so far, but that's my personal kind of goal and journey. And I know that you had shared earlier that you journal in the mornings and that you do your own kind of dreamlining or manifestation um, writing. What is a big dream that you have or when you come up with those answers for yourself? What is it? Yeah, that's that's a good question. I think for me, one one goal that I've always written down was give a TED talk. So I don't know a lot about human design, but I know that I'm a non-specific manifester. And so I try not to get incredibly specific about how my like career is going to unfold because I, I really believe for me personally that surrendering and sort of responding is a better way of going about things. But giving a TED talk was one thing. Um, and honestly, I don't have like specific visions, but I just kind of imagine myself being a very sort of like influential speaker and, you know, making my coaching e even bigger because right now it's on a very small scale and really just becoming someone that can show up at, on stage with leaders like Mel Robbins or, you know, lead workshops in Bali. Like, I don't, I don't really know exactly how I want it to show up, but I do know that I want to be ridiculously wealthy and I think my sheer belief that it will happen and determination is already a guarantee because I refuse to believe anything else. And that alone, I think, is one of the biggest sort of components of generating wealth is just the belief that it's possible and the sort of resilience and tenacity towards working towards that and being open to how that comes about in my life. I also just really want to be able to travel a lot and live life unencumbered and also not work a lot. I don't want to be someone that works five days a week. I just don't. I want to be able to have a big impact and influence and really help people get unstuck in their careers and, and sort of discover hidden truths about themselves that empowers them and allows them to step into the leaders and the roles that they're meant to be. But for me, I also want to be able to reduce the amount of work that I have to do to do that. I want a team of people that does the grunt work. And I'm not embarrassed to admit that. I don't dream of work. I dream of experiences and living and, you know, try, you know, max amount of impact and money with minimal amount of effort in terms of sitting down at my desk and working because that's just not me. But you also mentioned that you are you were worried about, you know, like the quitting your or just kind of going off on your own and being able to manage your time. One thing that's helped me with that is joining group coaching programs, hiring solo coaches, and also just, 
you know, building communities with people who are on similar journeys to me that can help me stay accountable. But group coaching programs and being in containers with specified deadlines has really helped, but also hiring coaches as well as someone that can be that almost boss for you. Of course, that's not necessarily the most affordable solution, but I found that I've made the biggest breakthroughs and progress when I have invested in high ticket programs like that. Yeah. And I think at that point, I'm not worried about money anyways. And I'm a a big believer in coaching. Stefan Lovegrove was on the show. Uh, He's been a friend over the years. Like there's been a number of, you know, successful coaches yourself. Like I'm a big believer in in that industry and world. And I've pretty much always had a coach. I had Dave Meltzer as a coach, who's obviously a big business name, like that kind of thing. My problem is it can change so fast. So like I could, you know, be being held accountable and have a great session with someone like that. And I think it's more about relying on the systems that you mentioned earlier about like time blocking and those kinds of systems. And then you said another one earlier too, which really was like, oh yeah, that's definitely what if, oh, you you mentioned similarly the accountability, but this is beyond coaching because like I can't have someone coach me 24 hours a day beyond those sessions. It's the like continuation of it. Right. And so I think when you mentioned going to a coffee shop or working with a, you, uh, did you call it twinning or partnering or? Oh, it's called body doubling. Body doubling. Yeah. Okay. Now I, you, I remember now. Okay. So that kind of, those kinds of things, I was like, yeah, those, that's when I do feel, I don't feel as much of like the, oh, what am I going to do with my time? That was like a huge one that, that stood out to me. When you reference like helping people get clarity, and so you shared your own version of like what your values were that led you to understand what you should be doing for work. Do you have, and this is like so much in the world of my work too, so it's awesome. I love talking about this topic. Do you have particular activities or like things that you help clients go through? Because I find that one of the things is that they really just struggle with the clarity question in the first place, or they continue to go to work that's not aligned with their values. And if you were to just outright say someone, well, what is your dream? They'd be like, I don't have any. Like, that's such a classic thing, too. So how do you help that person? That's such a great question. And it's something I'm so deeply passionate about. And I actually just launched a mini course devoted entirely to this or not entirely. It goes beyond that. But there's a couple things I do. One activity is this sort of entrepreneur mindset activity that I actually learned through this women's entrepreneurship Cornell like 12 week program I joined right after I quit my job at Google. And it's basically a way of evaluating your internal beliefs about yourself and getting a, getting clarity on where your beliefs are hurting you, where they're helping you, what are they true, are they not, and then re- rewriting those. That's one bit of clarity. But the other bit is about what is what is my thing? You know, you talked about the concept of ikigai, and I I teach it in a very similar way where I help people understand the intersection of what they enjoy, what they're good at what matters to them and what people will pay them for. And so I have a couple activities that I do. And this is why I believe that personal branding is one of the best ways to get unstuck and discover a lot about yourself because with the niche activities that I've built and the brand identity activities, you're forced to go on a journey of self rediscovery. So through a series of questions, and I also now use ChatGPT in conjunction with these activities in the personal brand breakthrough to kind of create that clarity. 
you ask yourself and you reflect on all dimensions of your life. So what are the problems that you know how to solve? Don't just look at your career. Look at all dimensions of your life. What problems stem from those other problems? You know, what have you solved for clients, for friends, for family? What are your interests? What are your strengths? What are your hobbies? Where do you have skills and experiences? You know, what is it? Some what is something that you could get lost in for hours at a time? What do people compliment you on? What do people come to you for? And so in this activity, there's a bunch of questions over 20 and you answer all of them. And then you go back and you cross out anything that you wouldn't be excited to talk about regularly, because this is through the lens of building a personal brand. But the cool thing is I've had clients that have used this activity and that have bought the personal brand breakthrough that didn't even build a personal brand. They used it just for the clarity bit. And it's been immensely helpful for figuring out like, what is their, their next move if they're feeling stuck in their career? But once you go back and you cross out anything that is not something that you would really be excited to talk about regularly, then you try to group whatever answers remain into common themes. And this is where ChatGPT can be so helpful. Um, and I've created a video on Instagram all about this, but I can send it to you and you can maybe include it in the show notes. But basically you take all of your answers and you say, help me group these. And you don't need to use ChatGPT, but I found it can be super helpful and efficient. Help me group my answers, find common themes among all of these answers. Here are all the questions and my corresponding answers. And I positioned it in a way that's what would be my three to five brand themes. And it'll say, here's, here's how you can think about it. You do really well in personal and professional development and whatever. It'll give you some brand themes. And then you can start to look at, okay, here are some broader areas where I shine. And you could stop right there and say, great, I know I'm good at these things. Let me think of some careers. You could even then ask ChatGPT, what are some careers that would allow me to, you know, utilize these strengths and, and help me sort of tap into these different themes in my life? But as through the lens of a personal brand, then we would basically assign, we'd figure out what is an audience, a group of people that would be most interested in this content and who would you be most excited to work with or create content for? And so at this point, now you kind of have your niche in a sense, you know, the audience you're trying to reach with your content and the two to three to five main themes that you're going to talk about regularly. Um, and so that is a really great way of gaining clarity if you want to build a personal brand. Or again, if you just want to gain clarity on your career direction. And then I mentioned the brand identity exercises. And this is something, again, that helps you gain clarity because these exercises force you to figure out what is your broader purpose? What are your values? What's your What's the personality and style, the way you most want to be perceived in the world? Speaking of sharing videos, that's one of the things that like, no doubt you're good at. I know you said it was like the, uh, what'd you say, the golden era of TikTok when you first started creating personal brand videos, but that idea of kind of the micro marketing and short form video and, you know, there's all the different company terms, reels and shorts and TikToks, but the end of the day, I think they're somewhat similar, but could you give some insight into like, if someone, there'd be lots of people probably who haven't even created content because we think that all of us who create content know what it's like. There's so many people who really haven't even started yet, or they've started like 10 different times in 10 different niches, but they've never stuck with anything like, and then they've quit. So they're still lacking clarity, how to actually grow on socials. So what is some of the wisdom that you would share with those people? So this is actually something that I talk about a lot in this free webinar, this free masterclass I created, The Niche Navigator. 
Um, so I encourage you guys to check it out. Again, it's free and it, it talks about this specifically. When you first start out, I like to, number one, do that activity where you kind of gain clarity on like, what are the bigger, broader themes that I kind of enjoy talking about? And then not necessarily picking a very specific audience, but just picking a broad audience that you think would be interested in this content and that you would most like to create content for. Then you can basically figure out, again, you can use chat GPT for this. What are the questions that this audience has about these topics? What are their pain points as it relates to them? What are their, their goals? You can start there and you can just start creating content that answers these questions that they have about these, these themes or helps them solve a problem that they have. Or another way that I like to think about it is you can just start creating content about everything and anything that interests you. And I, I like to start this way because you can kind of allow content creation to guide you towards the path that is best for you. You don't have to pick a niche right away. If you want to talk about ADHD in one post and then talk about how you ace your you know tech interview in another and then another one where you talk about spirituality, Great. See what content resonates with you. See what content resonates with your audience and allow that to kind of guide you. And your niche can kind of become more specific as you go along, but it can also start off a lot broader. So give yourself permission to create about whatever you feel called to, because a lot of people, the biggest issue I see is they will stop themselves from creating because they think, I'm not enough of an expert to talk about this or people aren't going to care about this. People are going to judge me. I'm afraid to be seen. I'm afraid of what people are. If people think I'm a try hard or maybe they think this doesn't fit within the niche or this doesn't fit within what I currently do. None of that matters. Truly none of that matters. If you have the desire to create content about something, create it, post it. And remember that with the quantity that you create comes that quality, comes that clarity. And so sometimes you kind of have to just throw shit out a wall at the beginning and hope it sticks. If you go back to some of my earliest TikTok videos, you can see that's exactly what I was doing. But that is a great way to start because again, it helps you understand what's what's resonating with you, what's not, what's resonating with your audience. And then it'll kind of highlight certain themes. And this is another reason I think that Personal branding is a great way to get unstuck because you can use social media as a testing ground to experiment with lesser explored passions or interests that you might have. Like, let's say you're a lawyer and you've always done that. You've invested tons of time, money and energy into that. But there's a little sort of burgeoning voice within you, an interest that you want to start doing energy work and you want to talk about, you know, spirituality or shadow work. Create content about it and see, let social media be that testing ground to explore and experiment. Again, take all the pressure off. Forget about the performance. Don't worry about the vanity metrics. No one is paying nearly as much attention to you as you think they are. And if you're worried about their judgments of you, I always recommend the book The Four Agreements because that book was one thing that helped me kind of separate my self-worth from other people's perceptions because you realize that other people's opinions of you are just a reflection of them. And if someone is calling you a try hard, I actually made a video about this recently. What they're really saying is, I would have to try really hard to be doing what you're doing. Or, oh shit, I'm not trying hard enough. Because you shine a light on areas in their life where they may feel they're lacking. So anyone that lashes out at you, anyone you're worried about judging you, just try to throw that out the window. It's much easier said than done, especially when I'm at this stage in my journey. The beginning, I was not nearly this detached, but that book helped me a lot. So yeah, I would say experiment, put yourself out there. Don't worry about if you're not enough of an expert, 
You can be one step ahead of the people you're creating content for. You can learn about something. Like this is what I did about the most important task. I didn't know about this before I created the video. I learned about it, created content about it. And the more content I created about success principles, the more I became an expert and a thought leader in this area. And so forget about you not being an expert and you not being far enough ahead or having the skills or certifications. You don't need any of that, truly. Just keep learning. Yeah. Be open to just putting yourself out there, really. Yeah, it's you're so aligned with the values of this show because that's essentially like you just summarized it just as well as I even could for this show, which is amazing. You mentioned quantity leading to quality, but I feel like a lot of people hold off because they're like, oh, I create tonight at 10 p.m. or every Sunday I batch things and then I didn't, I was too busy Sunday or whatever. They worry about frequency and a lot of those sort of other periphery things. And, and maybe it's changed for you when you first started versus now. Again, the platforms are TikTok's even a little more mature, but you know, somebody's like, okay, well, how much should I do? And like, what quality of camera should I use? And what should the lighting be like? Kind of all those sort of things. Well, number one, I would say be flexible with yourself. Don't set any hard and fast rules for you. If batching works for you, great. You can try batching. But if you set a schedule for yourself and you don't stick to it, who the heck cares? If you feel inspired to create something, create it. Film yourself getting ready. Film random date moments in your life. Create, get into the habit of creating as much as possible. Forget about the lighting. Forget about the hooks. Forget about all of the specifics. These are the things that hold people back the most and they do not matter. The funny thing is, the videos I've, in my experience, and I've heard this from so many other creators, the videos that tend to do the best are the ones that are the most off the cuff, that weren't premeditated, that were not coming from a batch. They were just, you had an idea, you filmed it. It was the most authentic sort of expression. And when you do that, people can feel that. When you show up in an authentic way and you're not super scripted and you haven't been, you know, rehearsing or whatever, that can come through. And so if batching works for you, great, try it. But if it doesn't, forget about it. You can also do a combo of both. Maybe you have some days, some weeks you batch, some weeks you just create whenever you can. And in terms of how much to create, I always say this, create as much as you're able to. Don't put any sort of pressure on yourself. Don't try to hit. I hate when people say like, you have to show up on social media every day. Guess what? Not everyone can do that. Maybe it's not that they don't have the time. Yes, everyone can make time, but maybe mentally they're not in a state yet where they can show up every day. Don't force yourself and create a bad relationship with social media and content creation from the get-go. Be gentle with yourself. Allow yourself flexibility. Allow yourself to be imperfect. And that is going to be the fastest way towards growth and success and discovering your authentic voice if you take all the pressure off. All of these sort of like restrictions we put on ourselves. And actually, this reminds me, I was giving a speech at this co-working group about the benefits of building your personal brand. And one of the women there, she was saying she's a graphic designer. And she was saying that she was not sharing her sort of like social proof her testimonials and her work, her graphic design work from clients, because it didn't fit within her, her brand identity. It didn't fit her color palette. And she was worried about that. And I told her, no matter what if it fits within your brand identity or not it truly doesn't matter it's about the fact that you're sharing your social proof that matters but we will sometimes create these fake restrictions as a way of protecting ourselves we may tell ourselves oh i'm not posting this because it's not within my brand identity and i don't want to confuse people but the real reason you're not posting that is probably because you're afraid of being seen you're afraid of putting yourself out there and so just put post just bottom line post your content don't worry about all of the what you should do or what the experts are saying, 
Forget about, you know, caring about all the lighting, all the small details. The fact that you are creating and posting is so much of a win and celebrate yourself for doing that. Recognize it and give yourself credit where it's due because it's not easy to put yourself out there, but you can yield such great benefits if you really do invest in it. Your approach to all this is really refreshing. The very first episode of the show, so I'll never forget it, some of them blend in the middle, but the very first episode, Buster, who I feel is one of the best personal brand experts in the world, right up there with you, uh, he asked me, he said, what's The Rock's niche? And I was like, it was like such a mic drop moment where I was like, yeah, good point. And we do overthink it a lot. I, I'm I'm a recovering niche overthinker for sure. But like, I just want more time now to create because I, I think I do have that piece certainly figured out, which is which is awesome. Uh, you mentioned a word there too. And I know we're going to have to wrap pretty soon, but I wanted to make sure that I ask this authentic. And I think three, maybe four times throughout the episode so far, you said something that you struggle with in a very self-reflective way. I'm sure people could go an entire episode without sharing anything that they struggled with because we often don't show up as authentic. There's a whole other piece, and here's another example of brains hopping all over the place, where Seth Godin has some great podcast episodes about how authenticity doesn't really even exist as a lot of us think of it. That's a whole other topic. That being said, I know the way that you mean it. So why do you think that you do show up in an authentic way, like you were able to share being medicated and struggling with ADHD or the issues you had going into business and share your burnout journey and share, share, share? A lot of other people won't even open their mouths. Like, why do you think you're able to? That's a great question. And it's not something that I was able to do right away as I, and this is, this was a huge struggle with, for me, especially when I was still trying to create content just about marketing. I thought that was who I was and that's who I had to be. And then I reached a point where I was so dreading promoting my offers and even showing up in that way because it was not me. And it's been a journey and I'm just now starting to really show up authentically, I think, in my content. And I'm talking about things like spirituality and even like a conversation I had with a family member recently about how he told me that he lost respect for me when I quit my job at Google. And all of these things, I am able to sort of share now because it's been years of me creating content, but I've realized that the videos that I am most myself and I'm not trying to put on a show and I'm not trying to, you know, follow a specific formula, those ones have the biggest impact on my audience. Those are the ones that get the most messages. And those are the videos that feel the best for me to create. And so while I have been talking about these new things that I used to be afraid of people judging me for, now I'm looking at it as my, by me showing up as my authentic self, which you're right, what is really authenticity? How do you even measure that? But trying to be as most me without putting on a show as possible, I'm opening the door for other people to do the same. And so I try to reframe that instead of worrying about the judgment that I might get for talking about things like spirituality or, you know, judgment from family, which in the past I would not have wanted to share because I would have been insecure about those things or felt like it's weird or it would have turned people off. I'm trying to remind myself, number one, I'm not for everyone and I'm not supposed to be for everyone. And your tribe will find you when you are able to show up authentically. And if you're trying to attract your soul tribe, build an audience of people that really are super aligned with you, you have to show up as yourself. And anytime you share a struggle that you've dealt with or you're being super vulnerable, you're sharing a personal story 
or anything, even if it's like a video of you as a kid. Anytime you do that, you are building connections with your audience and with your community that are so invaluable. And these will yield such great results for you, not just financially in terms of being able to sell, but in terms of like emotional nourishment and feeling of connection with people. And that's been a huge driver for me is when the more I show up as myself, the more I feel connected to people because they see that, they feel that when I am really being myself. And so again, it's been a journey. It's still a practice. And another thing that's helped me is detaching from the the metrics. For so long, I was losing and I continue to lose followers all the time, especially since I pivoted from marketing for small business owners to personal branding, unstuck spirituality mindset. And anytime I would create things outside of marketing, I would lose followers. And part of me would feel like something's wrong. I shouldn't be talking about this, but forget about those, that validation. That does not matter. Allow your audience to weed itself out. I always kind of think it's almost like creating energetic space for the right people to come in. That's much more of a woo-woo uh, perspective. Um, but yeah, detaching from the vanity metrics. If people unfollow you, it's not a bad thing. It doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong. Um, you also may be talking about things and sh- sharing things that people are not ready to face. So that's been really helpful for me in trying to become more authentically myself. Yeah. And I referenced the first episode of the show already. And the second time I'm thinking about it is that the other idea of growing slowly and patiently and building an audience, like you said, losing followers, gaining followers, but building a stronger community that people aren't hitting that unfollow because it's they're aligned with you, if not in one of those ways, many of those ways is huge. And uh, someone who's really good at that that you mentioned earlier was Mel Robbins, I think you shared. And it's funny because that was one of the times that you predicted the question I was going to ask basically when you said you wanted to potentially be a speaker or an influencer in the way of showing up for people at scale to really help them live their best lives. And I was going to say like uh, Mel Robbins, or you can kind of insert name here, Are there other people who you would give flowers to aside from her or people who you aspire to be similar to? Yeah, I actually did an activity. This was uh, one of the activities in breaking the habit of being yourself. And there's not one single person that I want to be like. I want to be a combination of my first business coach, Jess Glazer. I loved how she showed up and how she built her business and the way she, she empowers people through mindset. I love, I like to take bits of, you know, her teachings there. I love the way that people like Mel Robbins show up and how they empower others. There's a combination of people that I really look up to, Eckhart Tolle and Joe Dispenza, but I can't say there's anyone that I really want to be. It's more so being around these people and help and influencing in a similar way. And I've always struggled with this question, like who who do you you know most want to be? I don't I can't say that there's a single person because I I feel like and I, I encourage other people to look at it this way as well. Like you are just uniquely you and you should embrace that and lean into that. There's only one you. There's only one Stephanie Pinsley. And I want to lean into that. And while I can look to people like Mel Robbins and my first business coach, Jess Glazer, um, and, and kind of borrow things and, and aspire to be them in certain ways, there's just not one person I can think of that like kind of encapsulates everything. And so, yeah, that doesn't necessarily answer your question, but that's really the, the truth. <laughs> it answers it in the best way possible because the truth is definitely so valuable. And I'm 
almost happy that it's hard for you to answer because for that exact reason, you are uniquely you and all these things are kind of your creative decisions. We definitely learn by copying and mimicking, you know, like if I go into spoken word poetry, then I'm going to be like, okay, who are some of the greats that I like listening to or, and then kind of learn from them. Or there's all these awesome documentaries these days, like the, the Ed Sheeran and Louis Capaldi both have documentaries out right now about how they create their music. And it's like, if I wanted to be an acoustic guitar singer, then watching those, I'd start to mimic them, but then you have to take it your own direction for sure. So I think that's definitely really valuable advice. I feel like on every episode I do of this show that we could talk for hours and almost like we could create a, a weekly episode that would bring a lot of value to people. But naturally, I know that there's always all great things come to an end. And even though we could do another episode later, that uh, it's probably a healthy spot to start wrapping and leaving people wanting more. <laughs> but one of the things I always do is ask like a few it's funny. I've seen people do this and they're like, okay, here's the rapid fire questions. And it's like, well, a question is only as long as a question. It's really the answer that it comes down to. So the way I like to say it is that I do have a few themed questions that I'll ask and it kind of ties all the episodes together. Before I do, is there anything on these topics or knowing that we're going to wrap soon that you'd hate to leave out? No, I just want to be sure I share those resources with you, especially because you had mentioned this issue about finding your niche and some people may need a specific niche. Some people may not like people like Alex Earl. She doesn't have a niche, but she grew a huge audience. Anyways, the masterclass I referenced earlier, the niche navigator masterclass, it's entirely free, but that is so helpful to kind of start beginning to create that clarity for yourself. If you want to start building your personal brand. So that was really the only thing I wanted to add because I know it'll be a very helpful resource for those that overthink the niche. Cause that's exactly why I created it. But other than that, no, I mean, follow me on Instagram. That's where I create the most content and I hopefully can share the most value for you in all of the different topics that we spoke about and, and more. Awesome. I, I'll do it and I'll create a piece of content around it. You can hold me to that because I've probably done a lot of them. I've researched those types of tools so much because I've done that work for like 15 years of trying to help youth figure out what the heck they want to do with life. But I find much like reading a book for a second time or listening to music a different way later on, things start to hit you again in a different way. So I'll do it, maybe stream it or something and uh, definitely put the link in the, in the show notes for you. Uh, so in terms of the theme questions, what's one thing that you yourself are learning right now? How to reprogram my lack mindset. That's the biggest thing. And and how to really get into my subconscious and, and tweak it. Your brain is like a computer program. You have the power to change it. You know, I used to speak about a lot about just doing affirmations and how that's enough. But in reality, without the other inner work and getting more into the subconscious and the limiting beliefs um, and getting to the root of these sort of lack mindsets, you're not going to be able to really manifest, let's say, a significant amount of wealth just by saying, I'm a millionaire, I'm a millionaire, 100 million times. Um, so yeah, reprogramming my subconscious is definitely the number one focus. And again, the book that I'm using mostly for that is Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself. Yeah, it's a, it's a great book. Uh, and one piece of advice, given that you are full of so many great pieces of advice, but if you had to do the difficult work of choosing one for kind of the next generation, to remember from this, what would it be? Ooh, um, I just feel like there's this need for us to be flexible and gentle with ourselves. I think there's so much pressure to maintain a specific form or show up in a certain way based on what society or our friends or family tells us. 
And I think the best thing that you can do for yourself is learn how to be flexible with yourself and also love yourself throughout the journey. I, I know that might sound trite, but if you can really practice that compassion and lean into pleasure and not always just doing the hustling and trying to get to the next thing, the next thing, I think that will serve you the most and really prioritizing play and time for you to do things that make you feel good simply because it makes you feel good. You might think that taking this time to rest, even if it's like doing nothing, even if it's staring into space, you might think it's a waste of time, but it's probably one of the best things that you could do for yourself in that moment if you feel called to do it. And then the point about flexibility is with how much the world is changing, how much we change, be flexible with yourself, allow yourself to evolve. Don't keep yourself stuck in a box and be open to all sorts of opportunities and new sort of experiences in your life because while they may not make sense to you at the time and maybe you get an opportunity that you're thinking this doesn't really align with what I'm currently doing be open to it because these are the things that kind of guide you towards your sort of most soul aligned path ultimately awesome uh, and the last one is just an opportunity to give you the mic I know that you've had a show if you bring your show back I'd love to create together someday because I feel like I said we could create a regular special on Netflix to be honest <laughs> But if you were to take the mic and just ask me a question on these topics or otherwise, just something that comes to mind. Well, honestly, I would ask you, I, I, I love the question of what is your biggest piece of advice that you would leave your audience? Because I, I love that question. It definitely is a challenging one for people to answer when I've asked that at the end of my uh, Project Unstuck videos, which yes, I would love to have you on when I resume that. It, it is challenging, but I always love to see what people end up coming up with. My challenge with this, as I've grown into, but you know, five years ago wouldn't have been the case is that I, like we were talking about earlier, I have too many answers that come to mind. I'm like, okay, how do we go from this would be a 60 minute talk to just kind of being somewhat concise, but still bringing value to like and authentically answering the question. So one thing that I'll just mention quickly, and you referenced earlier, Eckhart Tolle's power of now, to me, understanding mindfulness and the power of now, and that's always the first book that I would always recommend to anyone. And it's probably because I struggled with anxiety and panic attacks so much that learning that the present moment is all that we really have, and then all of its connections to everything, creativity and learning and business and work was just so, and sports, like being a huge one, I left that out. I used to be an overthinker as a football player, and then you drop a ball. But like when you're living in the moment, that stuff doesn't really happen. You're just, you're not overthinking. And so I think definitely if I was forced to do the very hard work of just picking one thing, it would be understanding the power of now. And to go a little bit meta and macro, or woo-woo-wee, as you said earlier, we like woo-woo-wee on this show. Um, no, I've, al I've always grown up around grief, and I share that often enough, but you know, the questions need to, to be right. Um, I was around death a lot at a young age because I lived in a funeral home and also had a lot of family things happen, even in recent years. Lost both of my brother younger brothers already. One died at 32, one died at 34. So um, being around that world of grief in a personal way really reminds me that we're not promised beyond this present moment, which is like that same kind of thing, you know? So I feel like to, to wrap it all up, there's like the very practical Eckhart Tolle. This is how you stay in the moment, you know, using your senses and you could do a whole bunch of exercises on it. And then more of like the philosophical, like this is why it's also important and you know, living in the moment is all we really have. So that would be it if I had to pick one. <laughs> 
That's an awesome answer. And I'm so sorry to hear that. That is so difficult. And that's my biggest fear in this world is losing my loved ones. So I feel that pain so deeply. And I think you're so right in terms of learning how to master the present moment. I think that's probably the best skill that you can learn. And the other thing I would add before we wrap is learning um, how to regulate your emotions and how you respond because you can't control what happens in your life, but you can control your response. You can control how it affects you. And so if you're able to really look for the lesson in any challenge that you're faced with, that will really empower you and allow you to kind of control your emotion and your responses because your perspective and how you view the world, how you respond is your reality. You're, you will experience the world in the way that you perceive it. So if you have a negative perspective and you're always looking for things to be critical about, you're going to have a very critical negative life. But if you have a life where you're always looking for, and I'm not saying anything toxic positivity, but if you're tr- if you're living through more of the glass half full lens, you're looking for the lesson, you're practicing presence, you're going to have such a better quality of life. I think Tony Robbins talks about this, about our emotional home and where we typically will kind of live out of. And some people's emotional home is anxiety. But if you can turn your emotional home into gratitude and joy, then that can really affect the quality of your life. Yeah, it's a beautiful point. It's huge. I feel like uh, we've talked about that we could talk about these things for so much longer, but it's it'll be nice to create some content together in the future. And I feel like um, a lot of these topics too are things that can still be difficult. Like they don't really go away, which is important to point out. Uh, they may impact us less or whatever, but when it comes to dealing with haters, or you mentioned the idea of continuing to improve your abundance mindset, that virtual body doubling can be helpful. So if you ever need to just, you know, send a voice note or whatever, um, it's amazing how much having other people to lean on, I think can help on this journey too. So reach out anytime. Thank you so much for doing this. It's It's been amazing. The last question that I always ask people, but I, I do think you shared, but just for clarity's sake, where could people find you if they wanted to come find out more about your work? Well, number one, thank you so much. I really appreciate this opportunity. And I totally agree. If you ever want to chat or body double, definitely let me know. I'd love to create content together, whether that's Instagram lives or anything else. So let's definitely stay in touch. Uh, follow me on Instagram, steph.pinsley. And if you want to send me an email, my na- my email is steph at roadmaptorise.com. My website is stephpinsley.com. And I'll send you the other uh, resources I had mentioned around, you know, entrepreneurial mindset, finding your niche, et cetera, as I think they could be really helpful for your audience. Awesome. Appreciate it. I'm sure all of that will help a lot of people. So thank you so much. Thanks, Justin. JKL listeners, thank you so much for being here. I know that I shared a lot, but I really believe greatly in having the courage to speak our goals out into the universe. I want to hear your goals, so let me know what they are. But I always share that one of my challenging goals is to help millions of people achieve their own dreams with this show. So please do continue to pass it along. And if you haven't joined yet, be sure to sign up to the newsletter at newsletter.justkeeplearning.ca. It's a space where I'm really trying to put a ton of time into making sure that it helps you a lot sharing a weekly tip, resources, and mini essay on how to succeed in the creator economy. Thank you to our guest today, Steph. Her story is really special because when you look at the social media content, it can seem like a fairy tale story, something super unachievable for many of us, yet she makes it a point to prove that she is just like you and I. 
Her content and her conversations are always inspiring and motivating. Now, I also always mention that we love getting your DMs and comments about the show. So if you have any input on guests or topics, please don't be shy. Reach out and just let us know. Until the next episode, all the best. And remember, just keep learning. You're one step closer to making your big dreams come true, but there's plenty more where that came from. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And if you know anyone who might love the show, send them a link. We'll see you next time on Just Keep Learning with Justin at Just Tries.